Local knowledge is presented by Avis. A great drive on the golf course sounds something like this. While a great drive on the road sounds something like this. And even though the two may sound completely different, both give us that same wonderful feeling. And here at Avis, we understand both. So book your next car rental with us. Because whether you're on the road or on the tee, we at Avis know that nothing beats a great drive. Avis, the official rental car of the PGA Tour. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> with two words on the eve of the 1996 Greater Milwaukee Open, Tiger Woods ushered in a new era in golf. After winning three consecutive U.S. Amateur Championships, Tiger was taking his talents to the PGA Tour, and professional golf, both on and off the course, would never be the same. In less than a year, Woods would be a Masters champion and the game's top-ranked player, and he was just getting started, compiling a legendary resume that includes a record-tying 82 PGA Tour wins and 15 majors. Woods eventually became arguably the most recognizable person on the planet, as well as the first athlete to cross a billion dollars in earnings. As we hit the 25-year anniversary of Tiger turning pro, Woods' imprint on golf's landscape is everywhere. Which leads to the question, what if the world had never been introduced to Tiger? Would golfers be as wealthy? Would they be as fit? And how would our definition of greatness compare to what it is now? To understand Woods' massive influence on the game, it helps to consider how almost every segment of golf as we know it might look different if a young Tiger Woods never picked up a golf club. I'm Alex Myers, and this is Local Knowledge, where we take a deep dive into some of the game's most compelling stories. On this episode, we're exploring the alternate reality of what golf would be like without Tiger Woods by factoring in the obvious and surprising ways he's altered the sport. It's debatable what this world would look like exactly, but what's not up for argument is golf fans would have missed out. Here's Golf Channel's Brandel Chambly. And I've read stories about if Babe Ruth didn't come along, what would baseball be like? I read Bill James's thoughts on that and, and others. And I think, well, I mean, the game would have virtually been the same, but, but Tiger Woods wasn't Babe Ruth. He was Babe Ruth. He was Willie Mays. He was Sandy Koufax, Mariano Rivera. Um, he was all those rolled into one, you know, um, you know, there's never been anything like Tiger Woods in the game. Nobody's ever played golf like Tiger Woods. Nobody's ever reacted to victories the way he did. Nobody's ever been so dependable, demonstrably better than everybody else every time he teed it up. Uh, and you just couldn't take your eyes off of him. If Tiger Woods didn't come along, it's safe to say there would be far fewer eyes watching pro golf today. The logical comparison would be to another country club sport. Tennis, anyone? It's easy to picture golf on the same level as tennis in terms of coverage and popularity, or rather back on the same level. After all, in the mid-1990s, tennis boasted big American stars of its own in Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi, and its tournaments were much more likely to come down to the top players, something that continues with Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic having combined to win an absurd 60 of the last 73 Grand Slams. But that changed for golf when Woods started contending and winning at an unprecedented clip. It seems counterintuitive, but the more predictable the game became, the more people tuned in. Tennis gave you that, you know, that fix more often. And, mm -hmm. and tennis was ahead of golf, I would say, in the public, especially in New York. I mean, with the U.S. Open and everything. That's Golf Channel's uh, Jaime Diaz, 
one of the most respected voices in the game, who also had stints at Golf Digest, The New York Times, and Sports Illustrated. But, you know, as far as uh, the way golf ranked in uh, overall, I mean, there was really talk in the late 90s by the time Tiger had really established himself that golf might break into the big three. You know, I mean, might be as big as, not as big, but join the group of football, baseball, and basketball, and maybe replace hockey and be fourth. Right. Um, and Tim Fincham, I remember having a, having a kind of one of the state of the, state of the game kind of annual, uh, 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 you know, uh, addresses and, and kind of was talking in that, in that vein. Uh, and it was all because of Tiger. Diaz first met a shy 14-year-old Woods in 1990 while working at Golf Digest. The two, along with Tiger's dad, Earl, played a round of golf together and then had a meal at Sizzler. To that point, it would have been difficult to imagine such an established writer spending an entire day with a kid. And it's likely teen phenoms that followed like Ty Tryon and Michelle Wee wouldn't have received quite the same attention. No one wanted to miss out on the next Tiger Woods. In case there ever is another Tiger Woods, that is. After all, Woods wasn't just winning. He was breaking barriers as a golfer of color. Oh, and he authored one of the landmark victories in sports history at the 1997 Masters. There it is, a win for the ages. Woods' 12-shot win at Augusta National remains easily the most watched golf telecast ever, with an estimated 43 million people tuning in for at least part of Sunday's final round. And the PGA Tour didn't take long to capitalize on those record-breaking numbers. The following month, a new TV deal was announced that doubled the previous rights fees from the major networks. Suddenly, Tiger Woods wasn't just a golf star. He was set to succeed Michael Jordan as the biggest sports star on the planet. I mean, he had Jordan as a model, and I, I think Tiger followed Jordan more than anyone. You know, mm. because Jordan was incredible in the clutch. And he was also, he'd always bring something new to his game every year. And he was just developing all these skills. And when he came out of North Carolina, he wasn't the greatest jump shooter. He became one. You know, he did everything because he could not tolerate a weakness. And Tiger was like that. And so golf started to grow, you know, uh, by extension in ways like that people hadn't thought golf was, you know, capable of doing. It was, it was must-see TV to watch Tiger. And, and that just changed the whole sponsorship equation. That changed the whole scheduling about, you know, hey, we, can, we, we don't have to just wait for the majors. We can have our own major tournaments like the WGC and then later the FedEx Cup. And it wasn't just a week-to-week -week caravan of, of good tournaments, but a lot of sameness. There was this elevation of, of certain plateaus uh, of what tournaments could be. But Tiger Mania greatly aided one minor TV network as well. Imagine there's no golf channel. It's easy if you try. Co-founded by Arnold Palmer and premiering in 1995, Golf Channel predated Tiger Turning Pro and was the first TV station dedicated to covering a single sport 24 hours a day. But the first couple years produced lean ratings, especially when the network initially launched as a premium channel. Things improved when it became part of more basic cable packages, but Chambly wonders if the appetite for such a channel would have remained if golf hadn't discovered the biggest sports star on the planet at nearly the exact same time. In any event, Chambly, who retired from competitive golf in 2003, is fairly certain he would have been doing something else for the past couple decades if not for Tiger's existence. No athlete, in both the good and bad times, has been such a reliable source of highlights, analysis, and debate. I have people try to insult me all the time and say, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Tiger, you wouldn't have a job. I'm like, look, I'm not arguing that. I would never argue that. The guy has been a cash cow for everybody.
which leads us back to the money. In an alternate reality, without Woods helping to subsidize the tour's TV deals, purses over the last 25 years would have likely grown at a more modest rate, which means Jim Furyk's $70 million in career earnings is sliced in half at least. Ian Poulter doesn't have a garage full of Ferraris, and Pat Perez isn't living in a mansion with a room custom-built to display his Air Jordans. Today's top golfers would be comfortable, but they might not be living the lavish lifestyles associated with stars from the major sports. The on-course earnings, the off-course earnings, the private jets that take guys from tournaments week to week, the yachts that take them from their mansions to those private jets. Put simply, it's good to be a PGA Tour star these days, thanks to Tiger. Here's Action Network sports business reporter Darren Rovell, who counts a ticket to that 1996 Greater Milwaukee Open as one of his most prized sports collectibles. He deserves a ton of credit. Everything at least doubled. Mm -hmm. um, what's very interesting to me is if you're the 100th tennis player in the world, you're barely breaking even. Mm. If you're the hundredth golfer in the world, you're making millions of dollars. You're, you're actually, you, you're actually netting. You're, 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 you're netting right. hundreds of thousands. Like it's not even close. And that's, right. that's all tiger. There goes that tennis comparison again. And yeah, it's not even close. In 2019, the last year before COVID, Ivan Dodic ranked hundredth on the ATP money rankings with 333,000. Meanwhile, Carlos Ortiz finished 100th on the PGA Tours money list at a million seventy-three thousand, or more than three times as much. That difference is just as dramatic in golf pre and post Tiger. Only 17 golfers other than Tiger earned a million dollars during his first full season. But this season, 124 golfers crossed that mark, meaning that's basically the standard now for keeping your tour card. And when Tiger turned pro 35 events into the 1996 season, Phil Mickelson led the tour with just under $1.6 million in earnings. Today, there are 15 events that hand out more than that just for first place. Without those types of tournament purses at stake in a woods-less world, it's fair to say top players would have to play a lot more to earn the same amount. That's because golf's schedule would look a lot different as well. It's possible the World Golf Championships, which were introduced in 1999, never would have been created. Same for the FedEx Cup playoffs which started in 2007 and now offer 15 million to the winner. Golf offers the biggest single payday of any sport. Golf. Toss in events hosted by Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, and yes, Tiger Woods being elevated in status and top tour pros could basically just set their schedule to those events, plus the four majors and make an amazing living. And then there's the sponsored dollars Tiger brought in, which in many cases is how most of these guys make most of their money. Just from an economic standpoint, golfers themselves would be poor, but mm. the game of golf would be poor uh, in, in, in many ways. Uh, Tiger expanded our expectations and gave us, an, uh, I think, a very different view of what people were capable of. Now, to be clear, Tiger Woods wasn't the first superstar golfer, nor was he anywhere near to being the first to make a lot of money playing the sport. After all, Arnold Palmer had been the king of endorsements for four decades when Woods turned pro and his estate still makes enough money each year to keep him among the game's highest earners five years after his death. But Woods was the first golfer to truly strike it rich before he had even struck a shot as a pro. When Woods made his announcement in Milwaukee on August 28, 1996, he had already signed a five-year deal with Nike worth $40 million, and the commercials quickly followed. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. I am Tiger Woods. 
That five-year deal was for $6.5 million annually. The rest of it came in the form of a $7.5 million signing bonus. That wasn't only unprecedented for a golfer. People were doubting Phil Knight. I mean, obviously he won his three amateurs and you know did what he did in college, but like Phil Knight gave him a $40 million deal. And that at the time was like insane. People were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, that's an, that's an insane number. And of course, you know, remember that this is, you know, seven years before LeBron, you know, and, and his $100 million deal, the hello world and the, the, the five-year $40 million deal. And then when that deal's up, you know, in 2000, they re-up it for a hundred million, you know, um, I think, I think in some way that was kind of like Phil Knight's most proud, most proud moment because <laughs> there were just so many doubters. The re-up for a hundred million was the biggest endorsement any athlete at the time had ever received. And Woods was worth every penny. Nike didn't fare as well as it had hoped in the golf equipment space, but Tiger moved apparel for them and he's still signed by the swoosh. So you could say that not only did Tiger pave the way for fellow golfers to ink bigger endorsement deals, but he even helped someone like LeBron James fetch a big deal himself upon turning pro. I mean, so many things changed because of Tiger I and mean, the perception of golf and the money available and the schedule and, and the, the, the shape and the scope of the tournaments, uh, what was possible? Uh, I mean, it really goes back to Tiger just kind of in microcosm changing the way golf was played and making all these things possible that people had kind of put limits on before. There it is. A win for the ages. Phil Mickelson is your 1997 Masters champ. And this SoCal kid is just getting started. Excuse the bad Jim Nance impression and allow us to play the what if game for a moment. What if in a woodsless world, it's Mickelson slipping on the green jacket in 1997? What if instead of waiting seven more years to finally win his first major after Tiger takes over the sport, he gets the job done early in his career? Mickelson has done well for himself by piling up six majors and 45 PGA Tour titles. He's piled up nearly a hundred million in just on-course earnings as well. But without Woods, Phil goes from being one of the most popular faces in golf to being the face of the sport. Keep in mind, it was Mickelson who was the can't-miss prospect first, winning the U.S. Amateur and winning on the PGA Tour while still a college student at Arizona State. Perhaps fittingly, Phil won the tournament the week before Tiger turned pro. Lefty looked poised to be pro golf's next dominant force, but Woods quickly played through Phil and the rest of the tour. Not that Tiger's presence was all bad for Mickelson. The six-time major champ has consistently said through the years how thankful he is for Tiger bringing increased prize and endorsement money into the game. Certainly no other golfer has benefited more from this than Mickelson, who has been a mainstay on Forbes' annual list of richest athletes. Mickelson has also given credit to Tiger for motivating him to improve, and has gone as far to say he wouldn't have amassed all those wins if not for his longtime rival. Diaz disagrees. And Phil definitely had a lull there, and he had to you know, rebuild, rebuild his ego, rebuild his self-image, rebuild his game, rebuild his commitment and try to be, you know, keep up with Tiger. That did make him better. I, I, I think, you know, net, I think it was a loss because I think Phil would have, you know, gradually gained his own confidence and would have been the man and would have had an enhanced image of himself and, and more capable probably of, uh, you know, aspiring and accomplishing great things without this shadow of Tiger lurking all the time. Considering all that Phil was able to accomplish in spite of Tiger lurking, 
Chambly points to David Duval and Ernie Els as the two who may have been affected the most by having their careers overlap with arguably the greatest golfer in history. I think to some extent, um, it, it hurt David Duval, it hurt Ernie Els. You know, I don't think David Duval would have, would have burnt himself to a crisp in the gym, perhaps, and stressed his body to the extent mm. that he did uh, if, if Tiger hadn't come along and, and given us a clear example of, you know, at that point, everybody thought he was better because of his fitness, which is crazy because he was better before he ever went to the doggone gym and met, you know, had this metamorphosis of his body. According to Chambly, Els hurt himself in a different way by making swing changes to try to keep up with Tiger's distance during a 2000 season in which he finished runner-up in three majors, including twice to Tiger. And the Big Easy wasn't alone. Without Woods, maybe Els wins two majors in 2000 and doesn't tinker with the swing. Like Lefty, his Hall of Fame career is elevated to another level. Who knows? Maybe Mickelson and Els provide golf with the heated, lasting rivalry it has long craved. Or how about Sergio Garcia, who looked poised to become an all-time great when he scissor-kicked his way to a runner-up to Tiger at the 1999 PGA Championship? Imagine how much a major win that week could have altered the 19-year-old Spaniard's career. Maybe we're making room on golf's Mount Rushmore for him. Instead, Garcia was just one of many who had the misfortune of being a contemporary of Tiger. He did damage to the tour collectively as far as what they uh, aspire to themselves, they started to see, oh, I'll never beat this guy. And that just changes your whole approach, I think, to, to your career and, and, and why you play. By winning so often, Woods also changed what constitutes a great season. In a 13-year period leading up to Tiger turning pro from 1981 to 1993, no PGA Tour player won more than four times in a single season. Woods would do it 10 times in the first 17 years of his career. I remember covering golf in the 80s and, and early 90s, and you know, the, the narrative was always, well, we'll never see another truly dominant player because there's just so much depth. There's just so many good players now. You can't separate yourself. Uh, and that was almost, you know, kind of assumed as, as uh, you know, uh, that the conventional wisdom was, you know, that's, that's just, we, we're, we're past that dominating golfer thing. And then, you know, ironically, the, the most dominating golfer ever arguably comes along. So I'm not ruling out that it will not happen in the future, we may see another Tiger. I mean, I right. having seen how surprising Tiger was, I'm prepared to be surprised again. Um, but the the residue of what Tiger accomplished, it, it's dwarfed what everybody does now because we, we've been spoiled, we expect that. But Diaz believes Woods did help one player in particular, the golfer whose records he's chasing. It's, it's almost the ultimate question in some ways because I think Jack certainly would be regarded as the greatest golfer had not had Tiger not come along. However, I still think he's regarded as the greatest golfer. Uh, and in a way, I think the appreciation for what he accomplished is enhanced by what Tiger did. Picture John Rahm punctuating his maiden major title by making back-to-back -back birdies and politely waving to the crowd. Not as fun as what we saw this year at Torrey Pines, right? But that's a possible scenario had the Spaniard not grown up watching the animated celebrations of one of his idols. Patrick Reed wouldn't wear Sunday red. Rory McIlroy might not club Toro when he hits one flush. You get the point. When it comes to the big cat, there are a lot of copycats. Although Tiger turned pro in the era of everyone wanting to be like Mike, it became clear pretty quickly that golf had a guy everyone is going to try to emulate, even non-golfers. 
So when you started seeing that the other athletes were in awe of Tiger Woods, you started going, this guy's a true athlete. He might even be the best athlete in the world. And that, and that was not an unusual, you know, uh, uh, idea in those days I mean, it right. started to grow that you know maybe no one's as good at their sport and as much and and better than everybody else more than tiger is you right. know and even jordan right. um which was really saying something of course it helped that woods didn't look like your typical golfer at the time he was a self-described coblin the son of a black father and a thai mother but the way this young, wiry golfer carried himself on the course caught people's attention as well. The booming drives, the ferocious fist pumps, that killer stare. All of a sudden, golf was cool? There would certainly be fewer famous athletes teeing it up in pro-ams around the country, if not for Tiger. I, I could play golf pretty well, and I was small, and uh, you know, it was my little advantage because most of the jocks didn't even play golf, so it was my little corner of the world. But it was always a little corner of the world. Mm -hmm. And Tiger made it a broader world, you know, and the nerds started feeling like, hey, our game is actually a lot better than we thought it was. Woods has been given credit for bringing a more diverse crowd into the game, but he also changed the makeup of the PGA Tour in another way. More of those jocks that Diaz described decided to give golf a chance after Tiger's emergence, and the tour looks a lot different today as a result. This isn't to say you'll ever confuse golfers with football players. In fact, every time an announcer says so-and-so looks like an NFL linebacker, clearly that announcer has never seen an NFL linebacker in person. But guys like Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka are impressive athletes in their own right. And while there have always been great athletes playing professional golf, have you ever seen clips of Sam Snead? There are certainly a lot more these days. Of course, tour pros took note of Tiger's time in the weight room as well. As Shambly and Diaz point out, there were golfers who took physical fitness seriously in the past, with Gary Player being the most glaring example. But with Woods, there was more of a sense, whether right or wrong, that hitting the gym was giving him a giant edge over the competition. And more tour pros changed their routines and diets in an effort to keep up. So if it weren't for Woods, you'd likely see a lot more golfers with smaller builds and bigger beer bellies. That being said, more people that looked like that started showing up inside the ropes when Woods was playing as media outlets everywhere were trying to keep up with Tiger as well. Hey, I'm allowed to make cracks about my fellow golf writers. No question that golf started to get more prominence on the you know the daily newspaper sports pages. And not only were they sending a golf beat writer, not everybody had a golf beat writer, but I think there were more of them once Tiger started. There was more depth to the way Tiger was covered compared to just about anyone before. But while Diaz believes it's possible we might see someone dominate the game again like Tiger did, he doesn't think that person will go about it in quite the same manner. And that's probably for the best. This discussion now about, and it's a real one, about mental health among athletes. You know, what is the sacrifice required to be great, to be number one? Like uh, Naomi Osaka, it's mm -hmm. like she's questioning it and Simone Biles may be questioning it. And Tiger never questioned it, he just kept going. Uh, but, you know, Tiger pushed himself to places that were probably extreme and not really good for him mental, in terms of mental health. And I think people might look at Tiger now as kind of a cautionary tale. You know, that, that, that commitment, that, that awesome, you know, uh, effort, it, it does something to you. You've already got to be an abnormal person to want it that, that bad and be that good. Uh, but to keep pushing for that and no matter how good you got, you can still get better. It, there's a limit to what it can do to you as a person. And that's an interesting, I think, you know, it's completely un, uh, impossible to, to 
really defined, but it, it just feels like athletes now are, are wary of that situation. Mm -hmm. They're wary of getting to that place. To this point, we focused on all the ways Woods has made pro golf better. But had he never come around, there would have been some aspects of the game that would have benefited. And we're not just talking about Phil Mickelson's trophy case. For one thing, there are probably people out there who like the sport having more of a competitive balance. After all, there are plenty of sports fans who tire of dynasties like the Yankees or the Patriots. Tiger Woods was his own golf dynasty, and it lasted for a long time. And with all the money he brought, he altered the sport's ecosystem as well. And you'd have guys who had these spurts of excellence like Nick Price, but it was just too hard to sustain. And, and so that became something that, well, that we're, that's golf. That's what it's going to be. It's, it's never going to be like tennis. You're never going to have, you know, this guy stay at the top forever or two guys dominate. It's just too hard. It's too hard to be that good. And it's too hard to keep that focus for that long. And then Tiger does this. And uh, it changed what's possible. It changed what's expected. Um, and I think it's been really a hard thing for the best players afterwards collectively to live up to and no one been able to. Not that today's golfers are complaining. You don't have to be great to make a great living these days, which leads to our next point. In a strange way, by injecting the tour with so much money, Woods also robbed the game of some of the drama that comes with playing for your livelihood. Put it this way, chances are the players in contention most Sundays are already multimillionaires. In a world without Tiger Woods, you're likely to have more scenarios where the line between the haves and have-nots is clearer. An uncomfortable dynamic for the players, sure, but compelling theater for fans nonetheless. Earlier this year, Kevin Kisner admitted there are certain venues where he knows he has no chance of winning. So why even bother showing up? Quote, because they give away a lot of money for finishing 20th. Speaking of showing up, while Woods undoubtedly drew more eyeballs to golf and generated more revenue for the sport than ever before, he also created a clear class system when it came to tournaments. There were those events with Woods and those without. Woods committing to an event instantly boosted ticket sales and guaranteed more eyeballs. These things were most important for tournament sponsors and TV executives, sometimes dictating whether certain events moved away or even went away altogether. Take Woods out of the picture, however, and each tournament is more likely to start on equal footing. Now, the problem then becomes the, the tiger or nothing attitude that then that engendered which is like are you watching which is which is just just incredible and and does not exist in any other sport where it's like is tiger playing no okay i'm out he missed the <laughs> cut i'm out like you almost don't like the sport um I'd, I'd argue that that in the history of sports has never happened before in that way in a way the coverage was becoming more tiger or nothing as well something that didn't always sit well with his fellow players and something that still doesn't sit well with fans but there's a reason why Woods drew so much attention. He was just, well, special. I filtered everything, you know, through the tiger prism as far as, you know, when I was thinking of stories and when, uh, you know, I was thinking about the history of golf and how he might be changing it. Uh, so you felt like something, something was going on, something was changing and it was because of him. Not that Woods gave much back to the media, at least in the press room. After feeling like he got burned early in his career in a 1997 GQ article by Charles Pierce, Woods also became particularly adept at not revealing much during interviews. I think what he did, though, was he showed the value of silence, the value of staying 
buttoned up and not saying a lot and not putting pressure on yourself and not opening up your opening yourself up for questions. And it would it made it hard to cover him. It made it hard for the media. And there was a lot of resentment. Tiger doesn't say anything. He doesn't give us any time. Mm-hmm. But other players started paying attention to that. And, you know, I can't really document, uh, you know, in any kind of detailed way. But I started to get the sense that they they were starting to emulate. That's the way, you know, to maintain your excellence without distractions. You know, be more like Tiger. And I think collectively golf became less voluble in the interview room among the stars. As they had with Woods' fitness, swing, and practice regimen, other golfers began copying Tiger's performances in front of a microphone. As a result, we see fewer characters in the media center today. Current golfers are more concerned with not doing anything to hurt their brand. Uh, those guys who wanted to be the best started talking less, and because Tiger set a uh, you know kind of a tone, and of course it was working. It was just easy to emulate what Tiger was doing right. uh, because it was a, just a presumption that that'll make you better. With or without Woods, we know the fast food chain Subway would have existed. And two weeks after Tiger turned pro, it seems the 20-year-old had a hankering for a footlong. You know, at one point that week, I was in a, in a, in a Subway getting a sandwich. And the only people in there were me, my wife, um, Tiger, and his father. Um, and, and nobody, you know, I, I didn't turn around and say anything to him. Yeah. Uh, nor did my wife. And... Um, the, the fella helping him with the sandwich didn't know who he was. And I, and I, and I, I remember thinking, that's all going to change. It certainly would, as it didn't take long for Tiger Woods to establish himself as a global superstar. And in an alternate reality in which Woods doesn't exist, it's possible that just about any golfer today could go unrecognized in public. But that's not the case anymore, thanks to bigger purses and more sponsorship opportunities. Heck, at his peak, Zach Johnson was pulling $5 million per year as a pitch man. Of course, Tiger isn't the sole reason for any of the stuff we've talked about happening, in particular PGA Tour purses going up. I just need to look at my bill for Chinese takeout lately to know that inflation is very real. But it can't be refuted at the very least, Wood sped these things up, and that pro golf would look a lot different without him. And yes, it's fun to play the what-if game with other top tour pros. Maybe Mickelson's historic win at Kiowa this year would have been to top Jack's 18 majors. Or maybe he never would have been in the shape he is now to win a major at 50. Guys like Ernie and Vijay and Sergio would undoubtedly have won more as well. There just would have been a lot fewer people taking notice. But even in, if you put all those guys together, they wouldn't have brought the eyeballs to the game of golf that Tiger did. They would have accomplished more. But I think Tiger presence made all of them and golf channels presence made all of them bigger stars tiger didn't just change the world of golf his presence put a brighter spotlight on it than ever before that's why there's a much better chance chambly is spotted at a subway these days than during his playing career woods's win at the 1997 masters got a lot of future stars into the game of golf it also had a major effect on future golf writers such as myself like chambly i fully acknowledged that i likely wouldn't be covering golf for a living if it weren't for woods So yes, I'm thankful for him coming along when he did. And I'm hopeful he sticks around as long as possible. Whether Woods extends his playing career past this 25-year mark depends on how well he can heal from a February car crash. No matter if he ever hits another shot in competition, though, his every move will draw headlines around the world. That's just the way it's been since he uttered those two words a quarter century ago. It was uh, transformative. You know, the first time you saw Tiger Woods play, you, 
you felt like you were seeing something you'd never seen before mm -hmm. and, and would never see again. Local Knowledge is produced by Gregory Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Wyman. Our music for today's episode is called Bracing the Wind, and it's by Keelycaster. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts, and check out Golf Digest's weekly gambling podcast, Be Right. Thank you. <laughs>